I don't know. I don't think I sound good enough. No, you you sound That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Awesome. And your light, like you, you did say your light, your light looks fantastic too. We need to get you on like a nighttime radio show where you can just give people advice about their love life. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to Australian Males Give Love Advice. <laughs> no. God damn it, Chop. We got all the all the stuff that would get us like sued done before we started the broadcast. Exactly. <laughs> Do that before. Yeah, Ryan's going to keep this. Oh, Ryan's been keeping a lot of stuff from the pre-show banter. Since we're streaming live and I'm talking about sand stories for the people, the 75 people that are here early, was the time I shared, well, one of the times I shared porn at a sands conference. <laughs> what? Um, so I was using Shodan. I was doing images.shodan.io where you can search for like our desktop DNC systems and stuff like that. And I was specifically looking for SCADA ICS systems. And in, in Shodan, you can basically, it shows all these screenshots of all these systems that are exposed to the internet. And I saw the, the one system that was SCADA ICS, and I'm talking about the SCADA ICS system. I'm like, yeah, I hear you could see this looks like it's a water treatment facility. Going through all of that. Well, I focused on that, but in the screen, and it was recorded, <laughs> was somebody who was streaming porn on their computer as well. So. <laughs> So Dale, I didn't notice it, right? But we were recording it to share with uh, on demand, and it was going to be like shared with you know all the on demand students. So Dale comes in at lunch, and he's like, "Dude, I just wanted to let you know, you had porn pop up on your computer during that presentation session. I took care of it, buddy." And I'm like, "Oh my god, Dale, thank you so much. I really appreciate that." And I'm like, "When?" And he's like, "Oh, it's right here." I'm like, "God, I totally missed that." So I would say, um, I'll talk about Dr. Eric Cole setting me on fire here in just a second. So I would say it was about two months later. I can't remember, Jason, who was the lady that did like the video editing to get it into the on-demand format? Was it Kimmy? I don't think Kimmy did it. I wanted to say it was her brother, but we had this lady that was going through and setting up the splices for topics. And Dale didn't delete that section with pornography. Dale just noted it in an Excel spreadsheet that it was at this particular point. So this lady <laughs> is like watching this presentation. This pops up on her screen. She freaks up, it freaks out. It goes all the way up the chain at, at Sands. Like, you know, Mason calls me, Eric Bassel calls me like, why are you showing porn to your students? And I'm like, God damn it, Dale. I thought you took care of this. So that was one of the many times I almost got fired from the Sands Institute. Well, for the 40 <laughs> people who just joined in at the end of your story. <laughs> um, it, it was an accident get here early next time years ago at, at sands they, they said hey john could you put together a presentation on how to become a sands instructor and i did and i presented it to probably like 100 people in a room where they had food and beer afterwards and i had the crotch sniffing dog i had a whole bunch of different things that are in this presentation i talked about in that presentation and they had like Two people out of the hundred sign up and say, yeah, that sounds like something I totally want to do. And they considered it to be a resounding failure. They were like, yeah, there was, there was no one that saw your presentation that's like, that's something that they wanted to do. So they took the presentation away from me and they started having Eric Conrad and other people give the presentation because mine was too nuts. But Eric Conrad and everybody else kept using my same slides and the same damn stories. So that's kind of a little bit of background on this presentation. We are essentially Hollywood Squares right now. So <laughs> if you put, if you reshape the box, you can get all nine of us and we can play Hollywood Squares. 
InfoSec But everyone's stuff. in a different sure. place on different screens. Like the one yeah, that Jeff that, posted. That that's really not makes it. Yeah, that's not what I see. Right. Yeah, that makes it just that much more fun. <laughs> well, for, for me, me, Deb the Deb is right in the middle, which is... Oh, I'm sorry. I've got, I've got <laughs> Kent in the middle. Wasn't it in the Brady Bunch, wasn't it? Like the, the housekeeper was in the middle? Alice. Was yeah, the one? it was Alice. So Kent, yeah, Kent's Alice. my housekeeper. Deb, you've just Alice, Alice. Alice. That was her name. I'm Alice. Right. Well, BB's Alice. my Alice. BB, you're uh, in the middle for me. I'll be your Alice. And Marsha. Why am I always Marsha? Marsha, 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 Marsha. I'm in my screen. I'm in the like the the bottom left corner. So now I'm next. No one puts Joff in the corner. (laughs) The dog never got a spot. (laughs) We got some stories. (laughs) Oh, you have stories for sure. Were you there when one of the instructors on my on my list wanted you to completely reorganize the entire room? Because it wasn't going the proper proper direction, they wanted to completely reorganize because the feng shui wasn't right. They thought it was an airplane. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I won't mention any names, but that person kind of ended up on a list. <laughs> yep, <laughs> not a good list. <laughs> we made friends after. Yeah, it, it all worked out. <laughs> it's always fun counting donuts too. You know. Oh and my god! I forgot about that. Why were you, you counting donuts? And be like, so yeah. when did they take away the donuts? At what time did they take it away? Because remember, the the hotel would like put the donuts out for like five minutes, and then they would try to pull them away and like take them early. Like, this is when Caesars like was being just a complete group of asses to us. After we kind of saved their bacon and the economic collapse, they were pulling all the food and the coffee. And five minutes into the break, students were pissed. It was bad. Do you remember when we were at the uh, World Center in Orlando and we had the group right next to us that had no food? And so the the food that we served, they were like coming over. And I just remember Lana grabbing a plate out of this guy's hand and slamming it into the trash can and said, get out of here. (laughs) That was the conference, Velda, when we had the police and everyone likes to say a SWAT team showed up because of my class. Yeah. I found out you could take a can of of soda and you could twist the metal tab around and open it backwards and it doesn't pop the tab in, but it creates pressure. So the tab pops out and it sounds like a gunshot. So I show up to, to Velda and Kate and Lana and I say, Velda, Kate, Lana, just so you know, at the end of the class today, it's going to sound like gunshots coming from my room. Don't worry. It's not gunshots. And they're, Lana's like, oh, so sure enough, we record this video of us all in the class opening these cans of soda, and it sounds like gunshots going off. <laughs> Police officers show up, and Lana like completely loses it. And that was, uh, I think, that was the second time I almost got fired by this hands instructor, <laughs> by this hands disinvited. But that was a that was a hell of a conference. I don't. I, that was not one of my faves. That was a rough conference. Yeah. What story thought, John? Worst thing to happen to you guys while teaching, Joff and John, but maybe that's for the presentation. While teaching? I mean, we can do that now. Joff, you want to go first? The worst thing that ever happened to you while teaching? Uh, <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, you know, one of, one, of the worst, one of the worst times I actually had was I, I, I had some dental issues I had to have taken care of. So, oh, no. And <laughs> I had the dental surgery. <laughs> scheduled the same day i was about to leave for london so i went to the dentist i said hey can you do this in an hour he's like yeah i think we can do it yeah, okay because i'm getting on a plane at 1 p.m <laughs> i go in there i have him i have him uh, do a root canal 
I'm all numbed up. I get on the plane 1 p.m. I jet off to England. Because my mouth's all numbed up, I get to some, you know, hop in between. I can't remember if it was like uh, New Jersey or Atlanta or something. And I'm and I'm eating food and I like chew half my cheek off because I can't even feel it. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, I land in London the next morning and my mouth feels like hell. I mean, there's ulcers, there's blood. It's like, all right, well, we're gonna teach on Monday. And uh, at the same time, and I won't go into detail. I was having quite a lot of problems traveling and maintaining the appropriate bacterial content in my intestinal tract. We get to Monday. I literally am trying to talk and I'm drooling <laughs> out the side of my mouth while I start. It was an improvement, by the way. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just had dental surgery. I get like 10 minutes in. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> And I come back, and I'm like, all right, let's continue. We'll be rotating around. Does anybody anybody know where the local pharmacy is? Because I need some of that mouth-knowing shit. (laughs) And that was my whole week. It was (sighs) terrible. And then then the food, oh, to, 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 like, top it off, the food in the London facility was not known to be good. Just about every instructor got sick from the food, including myself. Oh, that was a classic week right there. The worst thing that ever happened is I had two years of sand CDI where I ha- in a row that I had a student have a heart attack in my class. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. You did very well. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and Belda, no one believes me. Like, I tell that story, like, that, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, no, two years in a row. The first one is a longer story where it was a former manager of mine. He, he worked at Accenture and he was a horrible person to work for. And uh, he, he made my life miserable. I remember he would call my wife like in the middle of the day and he'd call up Erica and be like, hey, just letting you know that uh, John's uh, going to be working late here tonight with me. I just want to let you know that he's not out with hookers. And then he would like hang up. He was he was awful. Oh, and uh, he got fired for obvious reasons. And uh, he shows up to the SANS class, and I, I like, about piss myself. I think I'm having, like, an aneurysm because I still have nightmares about this guy. And uh, he shows up, and he goes, well, I thought I'd get into the security thing, and I saw that you were teaching in class. I figured if you were teaching it, it couldn't be that hard. (laughs) Gosh. So he's in the back of this class, and he ends up having a heart attack. It's in a big auditorium down in the basement of the Hilton on uh, Connecticut Street. I was told, get in front of the class and keep teaching. And I'm teaching and paramedics are coming in and like, like hoisting this guy up and taking him out of the room. And uh, he gave a letter. I can't remember if it was to you, Valda, or Lana, or who it was. It, was it you? Okay. It might have been me. But it was a letter. He said, please call my daughter and let yeah, her know. That was me. And it had the phone number. So I called, her, called his daughter and I find out like his daughter hates him. And his daughter had no interest in going to see him. And she, she like gets on the phone. She's like, my dad's an a-hole. I'm like, I know, right? <laughs> so we kind of commiserated a little bit about how awful he was. I'm like, but I don't know if he's alive anymore. And apparently she did go to the hospital and see her father. All right, Belda. So you got like two minutes. What's coming up with Wild Attack and Festival? September 22nd or 23rd, 24th, 25th. With pre-conference training, the 22nd and 23rd, we have some awesome, awesome training classes. 
Mr. B.B. King, Modern Web App, Jordan and Kent, Applied Purple Teaming, of course, John, Active Defense, and plus more. There are 11 classes to choose from. I want to go to Rick Wisser just real quick and talk about the Swag Bag Lab because I'm so excited about about the Swag Bag for this event. Yeah, yeah, uh, Swag Bag Lab. So we came up with this concept. We uh, tried to do it hands-on. So we decided we'd send you something that you can do at home, hands-on hands lab. We got dumping firmware at the CH341A. So you'll get this in your swag bag, and that'll be your swag bag lab. And that's one of the really cool things that I think is, is going to be happening at Wild West is, is the swag bag lab. But we also have the Meta CTF, Capture the Flag, Escape Room, Backdoor Breaches Tournament, Onos. We're playing Onos. Bryson Mort is, is bringing a, a game for us as well. So in addition to all the awesome talks and everything else that you expect from Wild West Hack, Hack and Fest, we have some other fun things going on. If you haven't checked out our website, wildwesthackingfest.com. Yeah, and the swag bag is part of anyone that buys a virtual ticket to everyone. If you, if you do it before September 11th, right, then you get the swag bag most likely before the event. If you do it after September 11th, then you're going to get it after the event. We also have these cool little bags. I, Jason, I'm really disappointed. Well, there's a lot of reasons why COVID is bad, but we didn't really get a chance to hand these out at a con, like at the mm -hmm. level that we wanted to. So you've got to see these. So this right here is a magnet that you can put on your servers. And, it and takes when it's on the top, to... if it's not breached, you would have it like this. <laughs> and if you're ever working IR and it's, and it's breached, you flip it this way. So, you know, Mandiant, when they come in and charge you $500, they know exactly what server to go to. So you also well, get back my... those breaches and a thing of dice. I use the magnet on my dishwasher to let my wife know when we need to do dishes. <laughs> we we argue back and forth whether which one is clean or dirty. All right, everybody, welcome to today's Black Hills Information Security webcast. We do this every single week for the most part. So if this is your first time, please come back. If you've been here a whole bunch of times, thanks for being here. If you saw the email that John sent out this week and you're like, what is all this about? Well, thanks for you know trying this out. Today, we're going to give a webcast on how to present from John Strand, who you've given like one or two talks. Like it's like a thing that you do. And with that, it's all yours, John. All right. Thank you. This was a bit of a strange presentation. There's a couple of reasons why we're doing it. One of the main reasons why we're doing this presentation is we see a lot of people give really bad presentations. And I wanted to share some things on how to actually approach presenting from a thought process and how to do it better. The other thing is I think the world needs more instructors. I think we need more people that are doing presentations and sharing information and my goal is to kind of share, as I said in the, in the topic, the secrets of a SANS instructor who, is, who did this for 15 to 17 years and for about 17,000 people live for six days. And I, as Jason said, I have, I have some background in this area, right? And it's kind of an interesting approach. Whenever we're talking about, you know, computer security and all the different things, there's this there's this whole area of security where everyone's like, well, I'm not a thought leader. I'm not a thought leader. And someone that's got like 75,000 people following them on Twitter. And they're like, not a thought leader. And, it, you know, I can stand up and I can say, I'm not a thought leader. I'm not a thought leader. But at some point, you kind of have to come to grips with the fact that you have a platform, you've trained a lot of people, and there's actual impacts associated with that. And how can you actually utilize that for the purposes of good and not evil and actually do presentations correctly? 
and be engaging whatever people are presenting? And how do you actually talk to people appropriately? And this is just my effort of trying to share that in my own kind of insane, sort of stupid way of, of how, to, how to share this out. And how to begin with presenting and also presenting for eight hours as part of training is a big part of that. So that's a big part of my background, right? For those of you who don't know me, hi, I'm John Strand. Uh, I'm a retired SANS instructor. I managed to get out. It happens. You know, right now, I think it's just a handful of us that have ever retired. And a lot of my stories and my narratives will be tied to the SANS Institute. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. The SANS Institute is the single greatest training organization in information security, bar none, end of story. There's people that will bring up other certs. Great. That's fine. You can talk about Black Hat. But there's no group on the face of the planet that it trains as many people as the SANS Institute and has as big of an impact in the industry whenever it comes to what the skills are associated with that. Another little bit of background from that. The SANS Institute is easily the most brutal organization to teach for in the world. And Joff is on this webcast as well. He's a certified instructor and he can attest to that. But whenever you're looking at how SANS rates instructors, it is absolutely a meritocracy. You don't have instructors that show up and they're kind of mediocre. Just being good won't cut it at the SANS Institute. So to give you kind of an idea of ratings and how they stack that stuff. It used to be that they'd rate all instructors on a scale of one to 10. You get an eval every single day. And if you as an instructor got less than like, like an average of like 8.8, you would get a phone call from management at the SANS Institute. If you were a really good instructor, and I'll talk about that more a little bit later, and your score was usually with 100 people in a room, you would get like a 9.7 average if you drop to a 9.2, they would pick up the phone and say, what the hell happened that day? So that creates a tremendous amount of pressure. But it also means that the people that present at the SANS Institute and teach for SANS are absolutely the best in the world at what they do. We encounter all kinds of crazy things. We see things that most people would never see. They brought in a psychometrician. They were talking about evals and the scoring and what the averages were. Psychometrician said this is impossible. There's no way normal human beings presenting can score as high as your faculty are. And psychometrician went around to a whole bunch of different rooms, sat in the back of the room to see what we were doing and make sure that the evals weren't getting tampered with, nothing was being changed. And they were like, this is bizarre. We don't know how in the hell a human being can score. Like you walk into a room and you have like 98% of the people like you a lot. That's really bizarre, right? So you really kind of have to understand the background that people like Joff and I come from whenever we talk about presenting and how to present and what we've actually been doing over the years. And by the way, the joke I tell all the time with the real John Strand, if you Google me, which is like the most egotistical thing to say, Google me, and you do Google image search, you're going to pull up the male model John Strand, who's on Twitter, the real male model. Somebody said it's a cult. You're not far off, man. But the, the male model John Strand, we have the same name. We're roughly the same age. For a while, we lived in Denver, Colorado. And one of the jokes I always tell is I would have students show up and they'd see me and they'd be like, dude, you really let yourself go. In fact, male model John Strand was getting very frustrated with me and didn't like the fact that there was this guy that was one of the uglies, I guess, that was kind of infringing on his ability to get 
the acting and modeling gigs. So, all right, so let's talk about the beginning. And I think the beginning is incredibly important, right? Whenever you see someone like Ed Scotus, whenever you see somebody, even like Dave Kennedy, who's not a SANS instructor, when you see a number of us present, you, you see that end result of years. When you see me present at a conference and they're like, wow, you are so completely at, at ease in a room full of people. Why? Well, we, we do this a lot, like a lot. I remember years ago, we were, at, we were teaching at Black Hat and Paul Azadorian and Tim Tomes and myself, we were sitting around a table and Tim Tomes asks me, he's like, dude, are you at all nervous speaking in front of people? And I'm like, no, I'm not nervous speaking in front of people at all. And he goes, seriously, there's no amount of people that you would speak in front of that would make you nervous. I'm like, absolutely. No amount of people would make me nervous whatsoever. And I, uh, they, they said, prove it. And I grabbed a chair, drug it across the room, went to Kevin Johnson or Hacker Princess's table, stood up, and I got the entire room to sing happy birthday. Now, that is kind of a humble brag, but it, it's basically desensitization of doing this for hundreds of people over the years, presenting in front of thousands of people, desensitizes you to the point where you don't care how many people are in front of you. But there's a lot of weird crap that happens on the way of actually getting to that point. So the first time I ever presented at the Sands Institute, it was actually through a mentor program at Denver University. And I was only teaching to five people in a room up above the, the computer security labs at DU. Ernie Eugster was allowing me to use that space because I was a student and a professor there. And I remember I was super nervous. I was more nervous presenting to five people than I had ever been in my entire life up until that point. And I remember going up into the room and I remember meeting my students that were coming in and like they were all like cool people. But this one lady showed up and she had this like this like seeing eye dog in training. BB actually works with a lot of these different dogs. And there's very, very specific rules on how these dogs are supposed to be handled, how they're supposed to be trained. And it wasn't just seeing eye. It was like, a, like an assistance dog, right? And it had the whole vest and everything. And it said, please don't pet me. And this lady shows up and she's the most grumpy person I have ever met in my entire life. Like literally, I got her right out of the gate. And she's mean and she's angry. She's got this great big, huge thing. When she shows up to class, she immediately starts complaining. She's complaining about, there's a stain on your shirt. Yeah, that's a horrible outfit. Nah, your computer's a piece of crap. Nah, just really mean. And she's got this dog, right? So this dog comes in, she comes in, she sits down and she starts drinking. And throughout class, she gets better, right? You know, her iced tea, as it were. But this dog was like running around the room. It was not actually an assistance dog in training. It was just her dog. And she got one of those vests for it so this dog could come with her. This dog crapped in the corner like three times out of my mentor sessions. So I'm sitting there trying to present on like format strings. And all of a sudden, the entire room smells like dog crap. You'd be sitting at a table with a bunch of students. And then all of a sudden, this dog would get underneath the table and shove its snot, snout right in your crotch. And you're just like, oh, God. And she's just like, just let him go. He's fine. It's good. We're having a good time, right? Yeah. That was right out of the freaking gate for me. You know, that, that, that's how I started presenting at the Sands Institute. You know, having someone that was drunk with their dog, like sexually assaulting me under the table. But that was just the way that that class was for quite some time. And 
that's not the only story. I had a lady that made, made like made fun of me because I wasn't Ed Scotus, and it was it was horrible. I had lots of these things happen to me at the early stages of presenting, and uh, and as as I progressed, by the time I get to the point where I'm presenting at like ISC squared, I don't care. I mean, literally, when you're presenting in front of a room full of people, as long as the dog's not crapping in the corner, I call it a win, right? And that's just desensitization over time. So what are the lessons that I learned from this, right? CJ is here and CJ is like one of my mentors in life. And he's always like, he brings up this point all the time. What's the lesson? If something sucks, if something's horrible, what is the lesson? Don't lose the lesson. And that's critical whenever you're presenting, right? You're going to go through and you're going to present and it's going to suck. You're going to run into problems. You're going to have people that are mean to you. You're going to have dogs crap in the corner. You have all these things happening. You have people have heart attacks in the room. But what is the lesson that you can learn from that? We all encounter different obstacles. And I'm not going to de- debate. There are people that encounter far more obstacles than I will ever see in my life. But no one cares about the obstacles that you encounter and you walk away from. They care about the obstacles that you overcome. So whenever you're presenting, what is the lesson that you have? Number one, whenever I taught that class, I realized I didn't know a damn thing. When I first started teaching for the Sands Institute, there's no way I should have been teaching for the Sands Institute at all. I didn't know, I didn't know probably 5% of what I know now. I shouldn't have been up in the room. I shouldn't have been in front of anybody. And I would go to these mentor sessions and they would ask the most basic fundamental questions of me and I wouldn't be able to answer those questions. But then I'd go back and I would learn the answers to those questions. And I guarantee you, I would never forget the answer. Because as soon as you're presenting and someone asks you something that you don't know, and then you come back and you learn that answer, that's going to roll around and be seared in your head. So whenever you go to a SANS conference or you go anywhere and you see someone ever present and they're answering questions just like rockets, bang, 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 it's because they've been asked, asked those questions or they ask those questions themselves and they were ready for those questions, right? So yeah, I shouldn't be teaching. It was time for me to actually dig in deeper. And this began one of the key rules that I have anytime you present on any topic at all, right? If you're presenting, what you have on the slide should be what you're going to talk about, right? But then I want you to find three things that are related to that topic that you're presenting on, that technical topic, that are not on your slide. There's a couple of reasons for this. The first reason is it's going to force you to dig deeper into the topic. It's very easy for people to blow everything they know on a PowerPoint slide, and that's it. And as soon as they go off those rails a little bit, they get lost, and then they basically fail. So what I want you to do anytime you're presenting something technical to executives, or you're presenting something technical to a group, or you're presenting to friends, colleagues at a con, find three things that are tangentially related to that topic on that slide that you do not plan on talking about. This will help you get deeper understanding of the topics, and you're probably going to preload a question someone in the audience is going to ask you. Further, what that is going to do is if you are ever presenting anything technical, there's always this concept of balance and exchange, all right? Whenever you're presenting to technical people, you're always in this concept of debt. So if I'm presenting to you and I'm giving you lots of information as an instructor, there's always assumed, it's always assumed that I'm going to be giving more technical content than I will be getting. 
But if somebody asks me a question that I do not know, there's a perception of debt in the room that that student knew something that I didn't know or somebody didn't know something that I was presenting. And now it seems that I'm deficient. One of the things you can do is you can balance and neutralize this debt. So if somebody ever asks me a question that I don't know, a technical question, one of the things you can do, and you've probably seen me do this on webcasts, I will simply say, you know what? I'm not sure. Is there anyone else that knows the answer? And there's a whole bunch of people that will start Googling, and then I'll pivot, and I'll say another thing that you can think about is this particular technical thing. Now, the reason why I'm doing that is I'm balancing the debt. So if somebody asks me a question, and then I don't know the answer, but then I share something else, the balance is equal. So you maintain that kind of position of power and authority when you're presenting. And after a while, that just gets easier over time. So some of that is, is kind of a bit, a bit strange, but those three things will really help you out with that. And this could be a topic that you think you know really well, and I guarantee you, you don't know any topic as well as you think you know that topic until you present it. And then all of a sudden, you're going to find the things that you don't know. So try to find those things out right away. Also, I said, be ready for anything. When you're presenting and things go crazy, when you're presenting and like erotic dancers come into the classroom, which totally happened to me once, be ready for that, right? So you're constantly going to be ready for these things and you can roll with them as well. So in my note, I, I mentioned the idea of like anti-chaffing. So <laughs> it, it, Joff can talk to this. I think Mick might be on. Um, he, can, he can talk about it too. Whenever you teach, for eight hours straight, you need to be prepared for crap happening to your body that you are not ready to deal with, okay? <laughs> Whenever I first started teaching and my first full conference that I ever taught at was down in um, Houston, Texas, and it was a mini con, right? And I uh, got up and I started presenting and I would say about three quarters of the way through the day, like right underneath my armpits, my nipples and other parts of my body, which I won't mention, started hurting like a lot because you're doing this and you're running and you're, you're uh, look at this slide, do this, do this. And you do that a little bit for like an hour. It's not that big of a deal. You do it for eight hours. You will start bleeding. So I literally had patches of my skin that were bleeding through my shirt while I was presenting. So whenever I have new SANS instructors, whenever I was training SANS instructors before SANS basically pulled me from that, they would ask questions. Vaseline doesn't work, by the way. I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of people are like, use Vaseline. Don't use Vaseline. It's oily. It'll bleed through. All right. So that's, that's bad. You can actually go to any runner, runner's store. And you can get a body glide or any type of runner stick. That'll work really, really, really well. So go ahead and get some runner stick and basically run it on the places that you're going to move around a lot. So anytime I present, I take that with me. Once again, sorry, folks, but if you're going to, if you're going to present, someone's got to tell you this because learning on your own ain't going to work. I had one instructor that had taught for years. And at the end of the day, you would see him and he'd kind of be walking like this. And I finally pulled him aside. I'm like, dude, body glide, get it. It's awesome. And he's like, the next week, he's like, this changed my life, right? So it matters quite a bit. And that seems like a goofy I, thing, I, but it's I hard to present. Make, yeah, Joff, go ahead. I, I just got to make a comment. Um, first of all, John is 100% right on all these topics, right? Just so, you, you know, I know John is well-respected, but I, I absolutely 100% 
reinforce ex- everything he's saying. I learned this very, very early. The uh, body glide thing, I actually haven't tried. I actually found baby powder to be pretty good as an alternative. And the other thing that I really want to reinforce that John's saying is, is the, the sort of technical debt and balancing that debt in the room. That is a skill that takes time to learn. And it is also a confidence thing when you're presenting that you need to get beyond. You need to not be petrified that you will not know everything. You need to be prepared to deflect and engage a conversation with the room in those situations instead. And I, and I think, Joff, like the obvious thing is just be good. Like try to like know your topic inside out and backwards. But Joff, I remember when you first started teaching, you're like, I thought I knew this stuff really well. And you were still having students at the beginning asking you questions that you didn't know the answer to. Absolutely. The, the other beautiful thing about being an instructor is it will force you to question your own assumptions in a very direct way. You're like, I thought I knew that. No, I didn't really know that. And you will not get it wrong the second time. You know, because your uh, your professional expertise is on the line, and uh, you will you will steadily tune that up in the topic that you're working on. And it's it's an interesting thing that if you've been presenting the same material for a long amount of time, which tends to happen to uh, SANS instructors, people about the first or second day will start making comments like, "It's like he's reading my mind." It's like, oh, my God, he answered the question before I even asked it. And, and that's really just purely experience in that topic and, and knowing that the questions that are going to be asked. Right. It just takes time to develop that skill. Anyway, back to John. Weird things are going to happen aside from the dog crapping in the corner. It's Sands 2016. I think it was 2016 or 2015. We had a situation where the power went out at the uh, Swan Dolphin Resort. Now, there's a couple of things about that that you need to understand. One, as an instructor, you're presenting to a PowerPoint slide and you have a speaker and you have a microphone, right? Especially like my class was about 100 students. So I had a big room and I had a microphone and I had PowerPoint slides and a lot of instructors just stop teaching. They're basically like, oh, well, we don't have any power. We're done. And we've had like internet go out at Black Hat. And I'm also very, very, very proud to be a black hat instructor as well. And it always struck me as interesting whenever the internet goes out or all kinds of weird things that happen, the instructors would lose their freaking minds. And I know we've got Kent and Jordan on here, and uh, they, they can talk a little bit about this maybe, but anytime that they're prepping for a class for Wild West Hackenfest or Black Hills Information Security, I'm always driving home the idea of backups. So what happens if your connection to Azure goes down? What is your backups? If we lose servers in, in Rapid, what is your backups? What is your fallback? How is it going to break? Having contingency plans, being ready for it. If this particular thing happens, you always got to be thinking in terms that every single component of your, your support system from HVAC to lights to like everything can go out at any given time. So you lose power and you have virtual labs. How are you going to handle that? You lose a microphone. How are you going to handle that in a room? So you run into these these scenarios in your head and the really good instructors, they're able to roll with those things. Don't ever be in a situation 
where you lose power and everyone breaks out to a riot and people freak out. People will follow your lead. So I remember whenever we lost power at Sands 2016, like, like I said, it might have been 2015. I'm not entirely sure. There was a bunch of instructors that there was actually only a couple of them that were basically like, well, you know, this is ridiculous, people. This is beyond the pale. This is horrible. I can't believe we have to put up with this crap. This is god awful. Blah, 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 blah. And all the students were like, right, this is garbage. Rah! And then the eval scores for that day went into the just garbage, right, for that instructor. My scores did not. My scores went up. And the reason why they went up is I started yelling my slides. And I was able to present without having PowerPoint and a projector screen behind me. And we just kept rolling. And it got warmer and warmer and warmer. And I started making jokes about it being a dry heat. And I just kept going. And, you know, by the end, I was just sweating. And inside, I'm dying, right? But on the outside, this is fun. This is cool. This is something we're not going to forget. And the students took from that as a great experience. They, they were just amazed, one, that I could present without slides. They had a great time with it. There was, like, no lights, but the emergency lights was this really creepy vibe setting. And it was cool, right? Speaking of cool, let's say you lose power in the dead of winter in Oklahoma City. Back in 2008, I was presenting in Oklahoma City, and the heating elements went out of the HVAC system, which did some amazing things. One, we lost heat. Two, it got cold. Three, the sensors said it was cold. We need to send more heat, which just meant the fans blew more air directly from the outside right into the middle of the conference. Once again, that was like a day of that. What am I going to do, right? What are you going to do if something like that happens? You just say, that's it, I'm quitting? Because I will tell you, one of the things I learned from Sands, there was no backup plan, right? You needed to make sure that you could handle any situation that was thrown at you. And there was no one I could call to say, well, we lost an entire day. You don't have that option. People are flying in and they're flying back out. You can't just say, oh, we're going to throw a day on the end. Oh, well, we're just going to work later into the nights. People will hate you. So the entire room is freezing. Like literally you could see the breath of my students. I went to the hotel. I went into one of their, uh, their cabinets that they had blankets. And I stole a whole crap ton of blankets for my students. And we basically threw the blankets over the top of all of my students. And I have this picture somewhere, I tried to find it for this presentation, of a bunch of my students covered up with blankets and quilts while I was still presenting. That became an experience, right? That was something that those students didn't forget. In fact, the lesson from that is positive events come from where you make them when you're presenting. You have a bird come into the room and it becomes a distraction. You lose the projector. You lose the microphone. You lose heat. Uh, you have all of these different things. How you as a presenter deal with those things is basically, it gives you the ability to shape the reality of those things. And if you freak out and say, this is garbage, this is crap, this is horrible, everybody is going to feel that way. And then it's going to amplify back and it's going to become a negative experience. But if you roll with it, you joke and you have a good time with it, everyone's going to, it's going to be an experience. It's just going to be, it's going to be amazing for them. Some of the highest scores I ever got were in situations where everything was at its worst. The video projector was making a weird sound. The PA system stopped working. 
we we lost power. We we lost all these different things. And people were able to take from that as an immensely positive and unique experience. And that's one of the goals. Whenever you're presenting, you don't want to get up there and just work your way through the slides, go through it as quickly as possible. Just basically get through it, get through it, get through it, get through it, talk in monotone. You want it to be an experience that people are going to remember every single time. And if you start with that, as something that's going to stick with them, they're going to get value out of that presentation, technical value, personal value, whatever, then you're going to give a great presentation. And many of my students still remember Phil. I'm not going to give his last name. Phil is, was one of the students in Oklahoma City where we, we stole a bunch of the blankets. Then I went through and I stole all the, the fake potted plants from the hotel. We filled the entire presenting room with like fake plants. We had all, all these like blankets and quilts. The staff came in and they're like, holy crap, this is where all of our plants were. And I was like, welcome to the jungle. And I, it was a great experience, right? I'm in Vegas for Black Hat. Phil calls me up. He's like, dude, I got a Corvette. Let's go for a ride. Let's go up into the mountains and go get a beer. And I'm like, hell yeah. That was an experience for him. And it was an experience for me. And that's a relationship that exists for the rest of my life because of it. Don't hope for boring. Don't. Every time one of these things happens in your presentation, it's an opportunity for you to grapple with that and turn it into something amazing, right? Just make it work, right? Chaos is amazing. And I love the, uh, the quote, 100 bad days makes 100 good stories. 100 good stories makes me interesting at parties. Also, <laughs> some quick things. Don't drink the water. Whenever you get into a presentation situation, they have these, these pitchers of water and these glasses. Don't drink that crap. They have water containers in the back of the room. Don't drink that water. Don't drink any water at all that is not in a bottle. Or I like taking these with me so I can fill them up in my hotel room and I can drink the water. You will get sick. It, it, and this is yet another thing that a lot of SANS instructors just never listen to the senior instructors. They're like, well, what is some advice? I'm like, uh, comfortable shoes. Get, get comfortable shoes. Anti-chaffing stick. You need that. Also, don't drink the water in the room. And they're like, why not? I'm like, yeah, you're going to get sick. And then these new instructors will get sick almost every single conference for about a year. Then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, so I stopped drinking the water and I stopped getting sick. Why? A couple of reasons. One, water sitting out, cold water. You have like Legionnaire's disease, Giardia, a whole bunch of diseases thrive in cold water. The other thing is with those with the ice, they basically just put it in like a, like a 50-gallon bucket. They just fill it up. It's just constantly refilling. It's horrible. Don't ever, and this goes for anybody, don't ever drink the water at a conference that they put on your table. You will get sick. Almost universally, the instructors that got sick would get sick from drinking the water at those conferences. And this goes for a standard hour presentation, right? You're sitting there at the table waiting to go next. You're like, oh, I'll have a drink of water. Don't. Because when that crap hits you, it hits you hard and it hits you fast, all right? Don't eat the food. No one listens to me about this, but, and I even break this rule, right? Um, Velda, one year, she was one of the conference directors at Sands. At Virginia Beach, she got us a chocolate fountain for breaks. I kid you not. It was a chocolate freaking fountain, folks. You would go out there, they had cake, they had strawberries, you could put it on the fountain, you could eat it. As an instructor, as a presenter, don't eat the food. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get sick from the food. It's very rare that I've ever seen anyone get sick from eating the food at a conference. But the reason why you don't eat the food is it's usually very heavily sugared, and it's a lot of freaking carbs. And 
you eat that crap and I'm, you, most people don't notice like a GI crash whenever they eat like super sweet foods or highly carbonated foods or carbohydrate foods. They don't notice that right away because in your normal day, you're like, oh, I'm tired. But when you're presenting and you feel that energy start to drop on you and it hits you really hard and fast in the middle of your presentation, that can be devastating to your presentation. Don't eat the damn food. I don't care if it's brownies, donuts, chocolate fountains. Don't eat it. It's just not going to help you with your presentation at all. So imposter syndrome. I don't have imposter syndrome anymore. I know it, it, it's not fashionable to, to say things like that. Like, you know, like whether I like it or not, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not a role model. Um, that was Charles Barkley years ago. Oh, I'm not a thought leader. You are. Whenever, you're, whenever you have that many followers on Twitter or you have that many people that come to your presentations, you're releasing tools or you're releasing topics, at some point you become that thing that you're trying to say that you're not. And it's always kind of a humble break where you're like, oh, no, no, I'm not a thought leader. But I think there's a certain level in your career whenever you start owning that and you start taking responsibility for that, that it's important. Let me give you an example. I mentioned the SANS Institute. And at the SANS Institute, we teach more people than anybody else in the world. And 504 was either the number one or number two selling class at the SANS Institute. So whenever I see organizations get breached, it's simple for you to look at an organization that got breached, point, laugh, and make fun of those people. But for me, I see my students. For me to say that I'm not a thought leader is disingenuous and it's a lie. I know that that's kind of weird, but I started taking that responsibility very seriously. I had conversations with Ed Scotus where it wasn't just an issue that we were teaching classes. It was an issue that we had some level of responsibility for the breaches that were happening. And it was incumbent upon us to try to share as much information as we could to help make sure that those breaches did not happen. Like I said, seriously, folks, whenever I see breaches happen, I, I bear a little bit of that responsibility for every breach. I bear a little bit of responsibility for the state of security today. And whenever I'm talking about imposter syndrome, when you start presenting, you are not going to know everything that you need to know. You're not going to be able to compete with somebody like a Rob Lee. You're not going to be able to compete with somebody like an Ed Scotus. You're not going to be able to compete like from a presenting perspective with me, but that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. The point is you're sharing. The point is, in your own little way, you're pushing that rock up that hill a little bit further. And trying to get organizations to be secure is not something that's going to be shouldered by just the Dave Kennedys of the world. It's something that's going to be shouldered by absolutely all of us. And it's something that's going to have to be shouldered by all of us sharing information with each other. Okay? So when you're thinking about it, this graph, I think, sums it up from working, where it says what you think you know versus what you think everybody knows, that's incorrect. The far more accurate thing is what you know is going to be a subset of what a whole bunch of other people know. I have talked about rootkits in my classroom, and I've had the author of the rootkit in my classroom. Bo is presenting on cloud security right now in our training, and he has one of his mentors in his class that he's teaching. Don't 
Worry about whether or not someone is smarter than you in the room. Worry about whether or not you're clearly communicating to the people, the points and the techniques that you're trying to impart for the people that are just getting started in security. Then you're going to be better, all right? So I know that this is kind of a bit weird, and I know it's kind of anathema to the way you know I'm supposed to say crap you know when we're on Twitter and stuff, but I take this responsibility sacred, and I hope that no matter how however you present, you take this responsibility sacred when you present, when you present at cons, when you train other people as well. So here's a lesson on imposter syndrome. How do you get over it? Number one, you're right. You're an imposter. Number two, you don't know as much as you should. I guarantee you don't. This is like 15 to 17 years of presenting. If you start on your journey and you're starting to present, I guarantee you, you don't know nearly enough. You just don't. You're not good enough. Sorry, that's true. There's always going to be someone in the room that's going to have, they're going to make fun of the way you talk. They're not going to like the technical details. They're not going to like your conclusions. You're always not going to be good enough for somebody. Also, you're going to have doubts. You're going to go through this. It's going to suck, right? Getting up presenting, getting up teaching, it's going to suck. And you're going to question whether or not you should be doing that. There's there's shit that I regret. My grandfather passed away in the middle of a SANS conference, and I chose to stay at that SANS conference instead of going to his funeral. Now, there's a lot of politics associated with that that I'm not going into, but I absolutely have doubts, and I absolutely have regrets for what I did. There's always someone better. Trust me, there is. I sit in presentations and little things that people do drive me insane. Sometimes it's so bad that I have to leave the room. There's always someone better. Always, right? Also, you don't have to do this. There's no reason for you to get out there and present to people. There's a whole bunch of reasons why you shouldn't do it. You're going to put yourself out there. People are going to know that you don't know something. People are going to nitpick the way that you talk. People are going to nitpick the way that you look. They're going to nitpick your gender. They're going to nitpick your race. They're going to nitpick on everything that they possibly can. You will fail. You will get things wrong. I know for a fact, when I started presenting, some of the stuff that I was talking about, making assumptions about, I was incorrect about. Absolutely, 100% incorrect about. Making assumptions based on what I saw in presentations. Other people said it, so it must be true taking things on face value without actually testing and verifying things on my own. So there you go, imposter syndrome. So a quick segue into a story, and I'm going to come back to imposter syndrome. So this story, I heard a variation of the story, and it resonated with me quite a bit. I always have people that are asking me, what book should I read? What webcast should I go to? What podcast should I go to? And I always give everyone the same advice. Start your own blog. Start your own medium blog on technical topics. Start your own YouTube channel. Well, what do I present on? What should I be doing? Well, how should I be doing that? Doesn't matter. Start with basics of Nmap. Start with basics of Wireshark. Hell, I'm doing videos on those. Don't try to be elite. Don't try to write zero days. Don't try to do stuff that Ray just had this blog post by bypassing smart locks. That's amazing. Ray's technically an intern, even though he shouldn't be. And he's doing amazing stuff because he just keeps going. 
So this story that I heard really resonated with me. A long time ago, somebody set out to seek out a wise man. They started climbing this mountain because they heard that this wise man was at the top of this mountain. And they climbed this mountain, and it was a tremendous struggle. And there was a lot of lessons to be learned in just climbing that mountain. When they got to the top of that mountain, the wise man wasn't there. So they assumed that the wise man would be returning soon. So they decided to sit and wait for this wise man to return. While they were sitting and waiting, others came seeking out this wise man. And this person at the top of the mountain said, I'm not the wise man, but maybe I can help you. And he started answering the questions of these other people seeking out wisdom. And over time, he became that wise man. And that, that is truth. Whenever you set out to present, whenever you set out to share, whenever you set out to be an instructor, when you set out to share things and information security, there are no like really wise people to be your mentors. And a lot of those people are really busy and they may not mentor in the exact same way. And in a way, that mentor and mentee relationship is incredibly stifling because you're waiting for someone to tell you wisdom. Go out and find that wisdom on your own. And it's going to matter a lot more to you. And it's going to be more transferable to others. So let's talk about that wisdom. And let's talk about punching imposter syndrome in the face. You're right. You're an imposter. Acknowledging this brings power. Whenever you acknowledge the fact that you don't know everything, that, that you're probably not as good as like Hal Pomerantz or somebody at that level, there's a lot of value and power in just letting it go and proceeding anyway, right? So acknowledge that. Don't fight it. Acknowledge it as a truth and move forward anyway. You don't know as much as you should. That's honest to God true, but you're going to learn fast. Once you start presenting and you start and you start teaching and you start getting these questions, you're going to learn very, very quickly because you're literally going to be bolstered and you're literally going to be supported by all of those students that are funneling their knowledge into you. Joff can speak to this too. Just from teaching, I have learned far more from my students than I have imparted. I mean, seriously. The students are constantly sharing cool techniques, cool tools, cool tactics. A lot of my classes and presentations are outshoots of what I've learned from these other people as well. You aren't good enough yet, but you will be. And that's a beautiful thing to know that somewhere out there, there's a version of you that is good enough. You will get there. You know, and, and, and I know that a lot of people are like, oh, just tell yourself you're good enough. You're good enough. I, I kind of agree with that. You got to find some level of self-balance in who you are. But when you start on the journey of teaching and you start on presenting, if you start out by saying today is the worst I'm going to be and tomorrow I'm going to be better and the day I'm, after that I'm going to be better, that allows you to push through those doubts, right? There's always someone better. They're not here. You are. Don't sit around waiting for someone to be better because honestly, you're, you're that person right now. You're the person in the room. You're the person that's sharing information. Fred Rogers, you're special. Yep, absolutely. You don't have to do this. You don't. If not, then who? The biggest problem in security today is education. We don't have enough. So even if you know a little bit of something, you can impart that onto somebody else 
and they may not know it, right? You're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. You will fail. Failure is the only way that you get better. That's it. And when you come to grips with imposter syndrome and you start taking those steps to overcome it, that makes you an incredibly powerful voice for computer security. And that truly, whenever I'm looking at people in the community, that's something that's truly inspirational to me. I can't get down to, uh, I can't get down into actual names, but I've talked with a lot of people where if I look at how they present now and how they share information now versus how they did it 10, 15 years ago, they cringe, right? They're trying to be something that they're not, but they grew into it and they became something amazing. And you can do that too, but that's a lot of struggle. PowerPoint, getting into some specific technical things on how to present. Number one, it is a tool to keep you on track. Don't overuse it. Uh, you shouldn't be going through and, you know, like reading the slides and trying to make them too complicated, putting all of the crap on your slides. It's, it's there just to kind of keep you in line. Don't ever listen to people that tell you not to use PowerPoint. If you feel comfortable in PowerPoint, do it. But you're going to have people like, oh, well, PowerPoint is dead. Use Prezi with all these cool graphics and these zooming things. I did that. Ed Scotus fundamentally changed me from doing that. He said, I don't like presentations that are these bright, shiny, flashy, zoomy things. I'm supposed to be the bright, flashy, zoomy thing. And I'm like, holy crap, he's right. You don't want the PowerPoint slide to be a distraction from you trying to communicate effectively to other people as well. Also, don't read from the slides. One of the worst things that you can do when you're presenting is have your slide here, right? And then start doing this and saying, okay, so today we're going to be talking about the fuzzy monster and we're doing this and this. That is very jarring for people whenever you're constantly turning your head and you're looking and you're reading off of your slide, you have the slides on your computer. Presenter notes and speaker notes are amazing on your computer. They're incredibly helpful. Use them, all right? There's a trick that you can do when you're presenting that helps out quite a bit. And you'll see me do it sometimes. Let's say my slide is behind me and I don't want to look down at my, uh, my screen. One of the things you can do, and I'll talk later about owning the room, is you can pace up slowly and in control and then turn around and walk back towards your slides. And that'll help get you in line with where you are in your presentation without having to do this or just doing this and just going through it. That allows you to kind of interact with your slides a little bit. And I'll talk more about that. So speaking of interacting with slides, one of the things I find very galling whenever you're watching people talk about presenting is they say, stay in one place and don't ever like enter into the stream of your PowerPoint slide. That's total garbage, right? You're going to want to do some movement. Whenever you're presenting, if, you, if you're not forced to be on a podium, and I'm often forced to be on a podium, and that's fine. I'll do a lot more arm movements than I would normally. But whenever you're presenting and you don't have a podium, I move. And one of the reasons why I move is if I move off to the right, if I move off to the left, as, as I get into the periphery of your vision and I'm kind of walking around, what happens is parts of your brain register me as a threat or as food. Now, why the hell is that important? If you're moving, and I'm not talking about like this, right? You're not, you're not talking about this, but like a comfortable movement, forcing people to track you with their eyes. Whenever you start triggering the parts of your brain that, rec that, that set you as like, like, like food 
or a threat, it forces people to stay awake and listen to what you are saying. So that really helps with that, with that PowerPoint kind of moving around the room slowly and comfortably. Okay. Well, I've got to, I've got to try. Go ahead. (laughs) John's absolutely right. The number one thing that I cannot stand is when I get into a room and somebody says, you have to stand behind that podium. It drives me crazy. And it drives me crazy because I like to do what John's doing. I like to be in the room. I, I like to move. I like to, you know, when I see a head nodder, like going in for a concept, I like to engage that person a little bit. I like to make it fun, you know, and, and, and make this more of a conversation with the room and podiums are just an abhorrent thing. Well, and podiums, they are the only time I'm, I'm cool with running a podium is if I don't have any other option or I'm being recorded, trying to record someone working the room that I talked about is a nightmare. If you're being recorded, stay put. Okay. I, I think that's good. And also Joff podiums are kind of weapons. They become defensive barriers between you and your audience. And that separation is somewhat difficult. Well, exactly right. And your audience, in fact, perceives that as a barrier and you perceive it as kind of a shield, even though unconsciously you, you, you might be thinking that it's not a shield, but unconsciously your, your mind is, is looking at it that way. It, it's just a bad idea. Whoever came up with that in the first place, what were they thinking? I mean, I just think it's a bad idea. It's it just, much better. And I love the other one. I really want to chime in on John. You you just get me so excited when you're talking about presenting is walk down into the room. Oh, I'm going to talk about that. Not yet. Wait. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you did already, but, but conversationally. We've got got a slide. I'm going to talk about that. Conversationally engaged, right? Uh, But also turn around and use that looking back at your slide as a trigger for yourself to to continue the conversation as you're moving. It's really fantastic. But anyway, I won't steal your thunder. Sorry, man. Back cool. to it. The other thing about PowerPoints that I will say is interact. So if you have a slide, interact and like reach out into the slide and point things out um, that shows that you're comfortable with your topics and it draws attention to certain key things. Also, let's talk about cadence. All right. When people are presenting, they have a lot of ums and ahs and their brain is like jarring with this idea of how to present. So there's this stupid joke on the Internet. It was a meme years ago but it works. And I've worked with high schoolers doing debate and things like that. And one of the things that you can do is don't try to present, but don't present a damn thing. All right. I'm going to give you two examples of how to do this. The first one is chicken. Basically give a presentation where it's one nonsensical word and do nothing but focus on your cadence and how you're going to speak. So you'd be like chicken, 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 chicken. Chicken, 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 chicken. What this starts to do is, and you'll see literally I'm doing the same cadence with the chicken thing as I, when I regularly present, is it gets your brain into this groove of how to actually present and not worry about the words. So once you start getting into that sort of that, that presentation cadence, the words will be able to fit into those boxes a lot better as they come out at a certain tempo. So basically, when you're trying to present, get in front of a room and just say nonsensical garbage and get used to that cadence and presenting. And what's going to happen is you don't say ums and ahs when you're just saying chicken. You're not like chicken, um, uh, 
uh, chicken. Uh, uh, you're basically training your brain to speak and work in a certain cadence moving forward. There's also this presentation that is amazing. It's a TED talk about nothing. It's actually a TEDx talk. And I love this talk because it's literally about nothing, but it's fantastic. And it gets you an idea of presenting tips and tricks and how to, how to hold yourself, how to start modulating your voice to bring people in closer, even though you're not saying anything at all, and then blow it off as a joke, right? This is great because once you start realizing that there's tactics for communicating, you can start using those tactics and you can start presenting it with those tactics. And after you learn it, you can't unsee it. There's a specific way that people talk at TED Talks that is just absolutely consistent all the way through. And it works. It's engaging. It has variance. And it's, just because you know how something works doesn't devalue it, but it really will help you better understand how to present and how other people are actually presenting as well. So as I mentioned, using a projector, many people avoid the screen. So if I was presenting normally, let's say that my screen is right here with Howard the Duck, they would stay as far away from that screen as possible. Anytime you look at that from a body language perspective, it shows that you're afraid of your content, that you have some level of doubt. Get in there. Anybody that will ever teach you how to present, they're like, don't cross the streams, Ray. Don't step in front of the present, uh, in front of the screen. Absolutely. I mean, goddamn, whenever you're walking in front of that screen and you're casting your shadow, it's showing I am the master of this topic. I am not afraid to go in and break this topic up, and take it apart and point at exactly what's the thing that I think is important within here. Interact with your medium. It shows that confidence and it also draws attention to that medium. So utilize that medium all the time. Get in there, start working with it. And also, as Joff was talking about, I'll talk about this more a little bit later, it gives you an opportunity to look at your slide in a way that's meaningful. You're in there. You're like, oh, look at this right here. Yeah, that's cool. People interact with that. And, and it, it's just a cool way to use your projector as a medium tool with working with large groups of people. I always hated it whenever I was teaching at Sands. And they would have like rooms where the projector would be in the screen. And I'd walk up to try to put my hand as a shadow into that screen. And I couldn't because it would either be behind. Oh, God, it drove me nuts. It drove me insane. So let's talk about room control. We're going to talk about different types of students that you're going to have. But you're going to be herding cats. And Joff is going to share with you a couple of stories here in just a little bit on how to walk around the room. But whenever you're teaching and you're presenting IT groups, you literally are working with some of the most difficult people to present to in the world. You have, you have people that are highly technical. You have people that are opinionated. You have people sometimes, some of us, not the people in this presentation, tend to be a bit judgmental. How the hell do you deal with that? So I want to introduce you to the three Ed Scotists. So I want you, anytime you present, I want you to have every single slide and in your head, I want you to think of three different types of evil students. This is a trick that we all learned from Ed Scotus himself. Ed number one is a clueless student. That's the one on the far left with the most hair. I'm assuming that that Ed out of all three Eds is the dumbest Ed Scotus on this slide. And by the way, that Ed Scotus is still wicked smart, but he's not as bright as the other two. That Ed Scotus is going to derail you with simple, basic questions. That Ed Scotus is going to constantly kind of interrupt you. 
How do you answer those questions before those questions are ever asked? As Joff was talking about, I have students when I'm presenting, they're like, holy crap, you read my mind. I didn't know if I should type the dollar sign before I, the, the command that I was supposed to type. But boy, you just answered it. I did that because I'm used to students that are really new who really want to learn it, but they're going to ask a lot of questions. That student and that person in the room is the person that can derail you faster than anything else. So always think, what are the basic questions that someone should ask? And never back off of answering those questions before they're asked for fear that someone's going to be like, well, of course, that's stupid. That's all the three-way handshake works. Why is he talking about that? Always talk to that lowest common denominator, folks. That lowest common denominator is, number one, the most important person in the room because they're looking to learn. And number two, they can destroy you, right? They just start asking questions. Remember, a fool can ask more questions than a wise man can answer. Number two, Ed Scotus. I had to struggle to find a picture of Ed Scotus that looked kind of smug, but I think this one kind of works. This is the Ed Scotus who's just out to get you. He's just going to be that smug kind of, uh, that, that's that kind of Ed Scotus that's just like nitpicking and throwing bombs and just kind of bringing you down a little bit. How do you deal with that one? And that one's pretty tough, but extremely rare, extremely rare. One of my worst conferences I ever presented at, I had this lady that anytime I made a joke, she would snort like, ah, ah, ah. so like all my jokes just like fell. And if anybody joke, anybody laughed at my jokes, she would turn around and scowl at them. So I had an entire conference where this lady would la- somebody would laugh at the joke. She'd turn and glare at them and they'd be like, oh shit, I'm not, I'm not going to laugh at any of John's jokes again. It was horrible. So I finally had to set her down and I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, I noticed that you're kind of unhappy with some of this stuff and how's it going? And boy, did we have an interesting conversation after that. Um, There's a lot of personal things going on. She was making assumptions about me. No, I'm not going to duct tape their mouth shut. But we were able to connect and we still keep in contact to this day. But I had to deal with that. The final Ed Scotus, that dude's smart. That dude knows more about your topic than you do. How are you going to deal with that person? Now, generally, the person that's the smartest person in the room is the one that most people are afraid of. Don't be afraid of that person. Most of the time, they keep quiet. They'll come up and they'll share stuff with you. They're not going to destroy you. They're very, very rare people to destroy you. Own the room. So, Joff, you were going to talk about ownership of the room and moving around the room and what that buys you. Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really important. I have taught for the armed services several times. And one of the things that you learn about when you are teaching for the armed services is you are looked up to as being the commanding officer when you're in that room. And you learn very, very quickly that you need to own the room. There is no other choice. And I remember some early experiences whereby I was not exercising my authority in such a way that I should have been. And I ended up losing some people in the presentation in a a military context. And so that taught me kind of the hard way, you know what, you need to take charge when you're in this room. When you're teaching, you have to own that room in in such a way that you are controlling the the environment, you are setting the context, you you are basically giving people space to think and be flexible, but you still control that conversation and the tone that's going on in there. It's, it's really kind of important. One of the biggest things that happens 
and that can get you into real real trouble is if a side conversation kicks off. And this can happen when there is perhaps a perception that you may not know a topic and somebody in the room starts to assert their authority and starts kind of side teaching in the room. And if you do not intercept that as an instructor quickly, and I hate this is going to sound brutal, but put it down, basically, you will lose the room for the rest of the day, if not week. And right. see, you can absolutely, Joff, you can absolutely call it out exactly what you're doing. I, I do this all the time, and I tell people, hey, do this. Hey, that's a great conversation, folks. We have a lot of content to get through in the next eight hours. We need to table this. Maybe we can come back later. We can talk about it during the break, but we have to get going. Is that cool? And yep. almost all the time, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. No one wants to be here till 7 o'clock at night. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I, I'm very, very straightforward with people in those situations. I say, hey, look, guys, and if they keep the conversation going, hey, you're, you're being a little interruptive. You know, I'll say it. I said, but do, do you have something that you might want to contribute to the whole room? I'll give you a moment. Can you can you just kind of share with us your conversation for a minute? Let them share a little bit. And then I'll go, OK, that's great. Now we have some more lecture material to get to. Thanks for your contribution. Moving on. And it, yeah. it's very much the instructor read. On, on how to judge that. You do have situations, which I'll tell a story about, and I'm sure John will, where the person may well arrogantly push the envelope on that and and try to run over you, and that, that becomes a little bit of a different situation. But anyway, back to you, John. The other thing that you do as far as owning the room is acknowledge and feel the room. I know that that sounds really weird, but whenever you're in a presentation with me, you'll see my head go to the corners of the room and you'll see me kind of look at people in the far back and kind of start looking around. It's very common for people presenting to focus on one individual or one specific location that's not actually owning the entire room, right? So try to like move your head around and try to look at different things and look out and make eye contact with people. Eye contact is very, very effective. And sometimes those people that are very noisy that interrupt all the time, just making eye contact with them. They want to be acknowledged. That's why they're speaking up. If you make eye contact with them, they feel acknowledged and they're going to reduce the amount of times that they interrupt you to get acknowledgement because they can get acknowledgement through speaking and they can get acknowledgement from being seen. Also, when walking around the room, move up and down the aisle slowly, not too far, but it shows that you are in comfort with this room. You own this room by moving around it. Yeah. Presenting the management. We're running over a little bit, and I apologize. All right, let's. But uh, I wanted to kind of hit this one. Whenever you present to managers, they're a completely different creature. When you present to managers, I want you to start every presentation with the basic first question: Number one, what or why are you presenting? Now, this may seem simple. I'm going to go and present this thing to management because I need money. No, 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 no. Why is your id? You know, why is the, the base lizard part of you presenting to management? And what you'll find is some people are presenting to management because I'm going to show them how brilliant I am. I'm going to go through this packet capture. I'm going to get really deep. I'm going to show them this exploit. I'm going to walk them through and I'm going to show them just how smart I am. When you're creating your slides, whenever you're talking to managers, if the id takes over, you're going to lose immediately. Managers can pick up on that. When you're like, I'm so bright, look at me, they, they lose interest. Number one, get to the point right away. Don't put it together like a mystery novel where all is revealed at the end. 
get to the point right away. We need more money for this particular security product right now. Then when you're working with managers, very clearly and succinctly give them levers to pull. What can they do to facilitate this? What do you need from them? Do not expect them to just come to the conclusion. It's like, oh, wait, you want money. Ask for it right out of the bat. We've got a problem. We need an EDR product. We're going to need $50,000 to do this. Then you're going to go into the details as far as why. Now, in your presentation, you're not going to get technically deep, but you're going to have backup slides that are technically deep, very technically deep. You're going to try to think through what are the questions management is going to ask, and then you're going to create really technical backup slides. So if a manager says, well, if we're actually looking at Gartner. We're doing competitive breakdown analysis between all these products. Why, may, why do you think that we should go with product X? Great question. I have some backup slides. Then just go into all kinds of details. We're a mixed environment. We're running Mac. We're running Windows. That product doesn't work in this situation. Just go really, really super deep, quick, and then come back up. Because any time management is asking you a question like that, they're not asking a question because they give a, a care in the world about your answer. The only thing that they want to make sure of is that you've thought it through. So make sure that you have those backup slides to support the fact that you have thought this stuff through. They call this belly button poking. It's annoying. Someone comes up and pokes you in the belly. It's like, God, I hate that. Why would you do that? They're just kind of trying to get antagonize you a little bit to make sure that you're comfortable and you have thought the stuff through as well. So the power of a conversation, whenever you're presenting, how you present matters, right? We talked about the whole TED Talk intonation. I also like to try to present as I would have a conversation with someone. If I'm presenting to a camera, if I'm presenting to a room of a thousand people, if I'm presenting to a room of a hundred people, I always want to make sure I try to take up a conversational tone, ask questions of the audience, incorporate them as part of that conversation. Don't just get up and just present, get up and engage them, have them answer some questions for you. That is probably one of the most important things you can do is make people feel like you're actually talking with them, not at them. All right. That goes really well. By the way, the Luke, we're going to have company completely unrelated meme to this entire presentation. It's just whenever I Googled boring conversation anyway, that Luke, we're going to have company came up. I had to put it in my presentation. That's just a great meme. So as part of all of this, I, I really want to drive home that I know what it is like, folks. I know what it is like to fail and not present very well. I know what it is like to fail again. I know what it is like to be judged. I know what it is like to feel like you never want to present again. I know what it is like to feel sick to your stomach whenever you get up and you present in a room. I know what it is like to not be good enough. One of the things Sands is always good at is making you feel as an instructor that you can do more, you can proceed and you can progress and you can be better. But it also means that you never feel that you are good enough. I know what it's like to work with the absolute best instructors walking the planet. And with that, I know what it's like to possibly be the absolute best at something in the world. I would have days where some people in management positions at SANS would come up to me and they'd say, just so you know, you were a hundredth of a point off from being the highest rated SANS instructor at this conference of like 1,700 people. Now you'll have to kick it up tomorrow. I know what it's like for them to also come up to me and say, point blank, 
you had the highest scores out of any instructor in this entire conference. I know what it's like to get perfect scores out of a room of 100 people. And I want to make it very clear that when I did that, when I knew beyond any doubt that I was the best at that thing for that day, it honestly didn't mean to me what I thought it was going to mean to me. There was no fanfare. There was no sense of fulfillment. There was no sense of just like I've made it to the mountaintop. It, it, I don't want to say it felt hollow because it did feel good. I was proud of that. But it wasn't what I was looking for. And I'm telling you this because when I was coming up and I was improving incrementally, I got much greater self-worth and feeling of self-worth on improving than getting to the point where you're looking at a stack of 100 evals and your score was a perfect 10 out of those 100 people because there's no place else to go from that point. And that, for me, was really, really, really sad. I love presenting, and I had to learn at that point to present because I loved it and I loved sharing information rather than trying to be the best and get affirmation because there's some place beyond that right, that you can get to. And these people that are up on this slide, uh, this was a hard slide for me to put together. I was telling Joff, I put this together, and I see that Jeff McJunkin isn't up here. I'm missing some people. These, these people have been my best friends for 15 years. These people are heroes to me. And I know almost every single one of them well enough to know that in the earlier parts of their career and even throughout their career, they had doubts. They were worried about being an imposter. They had the exact same fears that you did. And some of them still felt that way. Kevin Johnson, who's another retired SANS instructor, still to this day sometimes throws up before he presents. And he's one of the best in the world at what he does. So don't feel bad. Everybody who's really good at some point feels like an imposter. It's just some people move forward. So I know what it's like to be at that point. but. In this industry, we need more. And that's the goal of this presentation. We need more amazing instructors. Like this just can't be something that the 1% of 1% of 1% make it. We need more points of view. Can't just be a bunch of people in a room sitting around sharing the exact same techniques and technologies and like different hacks that we talked about five years ago. We need more points of view. We need more classes. Get out there and present. Wild West Hacking Fest, we have a track dedicated for people that have never presented before. And I really think that that, for us, is one of our proudest achievements at Wild West Hacking Fest, it was to one give of people that platform. Done. We need more cowbell. Thank you very much in the Discord channel. We need more voices. Gates are created, whether we want them to be created or not. And those gates can break us down by socioeconomic status. They can break us down by background. They can break us down in a variety of different ways. And the more voices that we bring, the better we all are. We need more sharing of information. There are so many brilliant people out there that aren't sharing because they're afraid. And I'm telling you right now, don't be afraid. I was afraid. Ed Skodas was afraid. Stephen Northcutt was probably never afraid in his life. No, uh, everybody <laughs> was afraid at some point. We need more diversity as well. We need these voices. We need people bringing up additional solutions. It can't just be the same four or five thought leaders constantly sharing stuff again and again. And that's the goal of this presentation. And for that, I am very sorry 
that I went over a little bit. I just want to once again invite you all to Wild West Hackenfest. Check out Backdoors and Breaches. And yeah, VHIS, we do pen tests. So now I would like to kind of kick this over. I saw Russell, um, another instructor that should have been in there. Russell, I am so sorry, dude. I, I put this together like on my couch super early in the morning. So let's, let's open it up to some questions since this is the official end of the presentation. I want to open it up. What do you want to know? Ask me anything. Ask me about teaching, presenting. Ask me about SANS. I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you anything that I can tell you. So, you didn't put me on Josh, the slide. Josh, do you have anything to add as well? <laughs> you didn't put me on the slide, but you expected I'd be here. We're going to be here. So <laughs> I'll, I forgive you for that. I, I just want to double down on what John said about the, uh, the new presenter workshop that we did at Wild West Hackenfest. A couple of things on that. One, John said, hey, you need to show up to me. And I'm like, okay, great. Two, I walked into that room cold. John said, okay, Jeff, what do you got? <laughs> and stood me up there, which is kind of fun because I got to speak from the heart and really talk about my fears as an early presenter and what it meant to me to actually make that transition. And what you have heard presented to you just now is exactly that, that transition from I know what I know, but, ah, oh, man, other people know all this other stuff. you got to get beyond that. you got to tell your story. That's what you got to do. Tell your story. Everybody's got your something story to is yours, Right? No one else has that same story and that same narrative. That's yours. That's unique to you. So we have Tactus Kilgore said, any specific presentations for online presenting? So, so a little bit of background. Trying to present to a camera is really hard. So I'm going to share something with you. One of the things that I do, hopefully I don't destroy the entire presentation, is whenever I'm presenting, I have these two screens. So there's this screen right here that is literally the camera that's looking at me. So sometimes I'm presenting to myself, presenting to myself. And I know that that's weird, but having a human face that I can look at really helps. On this screen, I have the Discord channel. So uh, the Discord channel is critical for me and having it right behind the camera is absolutely critical because um, it allows me to feel like I'm engaged with the students in a way that I can see their questions and I can see their thoughts more or less real time. And that, I, I cannot stress enough just how cool that actually is to do. And now I can't get my camera back into position. Yeah, I'll um, double down on that too. That is huge. Go ahead, Joff, while I fix my yeah, camera. I was, I was just going to say, I highly endorse anybody who's, who's doing video webcasts online to set yourself up with dual monitors. Make sure you've got a monitor that uh, is showing the outgoing feed, at least. And then make sure you've got a monitor that shows you basically the incoming stuff, right? The stuff that you can look at, the, the reactions, the interactions with the students. And, you know, it, if, if you're really weird like John, put your face on that one as well. But <laughs> that's, uh, nah, we love John. I'm just kidding. But definitely having the two monitors. And the, the other reason that having a monitor for the outbound feed is really important is a lot of us are really geeky and we've like bought these giant monitors, right? In our office, home offices and stuff. Well, guess what? If you've got one of those really giant, like portrait uh, looking monitors, ultra wides, 
it doesn't work over go-to training or go-to meeting very well at all. So yeah. a standard kind of four by three monitor is the one you want to use for your outgoing feed. So there's some there's some uh, pro tips for you. Yeah. What else do we have, CJ? Any other questions on the other camera or on the other chat feed? There were a ton, but you were in a hurry. So <laughs> one that I really like that tied into your diversity. Someone said, relative to the concept of imposter syndrome, do you see this impact different genders, especially women of Absolutely. color? more than often than not. Absolutely. And and this this is something I spend a lot of time thinking about and trying not to talk about. And there's a couple of reasons why. And CJ, you and I talk about this a lot. As a white middle-aged male trying to talk about the struggle for women in IT security or people of color in IT security, anything that I say rings hollow. But I will tell you that I have a number of people that talk to me about their concerns of being uh, like even being transgender and trying to present or a, a woman trying to present in front of a white male audience that is a level of something that i i will never ever be able to truly understand but i i can tell you a couple of things that are kind of harsh one it is it is a boys club there's no question at all i i spent some time talking about cons in one of my like how to present at a con thing and I, I think we have to acknowledge that, that you're absolutely going and you're, you're, you're presenting to a boys club, and that is hard. And I think acknowledging that, that, that it is, is, is a step in the right direction. And I also think if you're a presenter, and this is harsh, once again, con- coming from me, understand that that's what you're doing and go forth and kick ass. Go and do it anyway. You know, we we talk about breaking down barriers. We talk about breaking down gates. And for a lot of people in different groups, they're going to have to be those pioneers. And I can't do it. Um, A lot of people that are here just can't do it. Somebody just put up a gift. We live in a man's world. Absolutely. And I am constantly in awe. And I am constantly just amazed by the people that are able to step up and step across those lines and do that. And I will tell you. If you're somebody that's from a different race or you're somebody that's, I would say, from a different gender, because there's lots of different genders, right? There are a number of us that are polling for you. And there are a number of us that are waiting for you. Come on. We're here and there's a number of us that'll help. And I will also tell you, there are a number of us in this community in the thought leader class that are more than willing to help give you ground cover. We don't do as good as we should in every single case, but damn it, we do try. We're going to get it wrong we're going to help as much as we can. I mean, this is not the white savior thing, but I'm just telling you there are people on your side. Come on, let's do it. What else do we have? How do you select the topic? How to I, would select say, the topic. I would say find a topic that's in- interesting to you. It doesn't matter how basic it is and run with it. Joff, what are your thoughts? If you're going to select a topic, it, yeah, it's got to be interesting to you and make sure you've done some work there, right? Remember, you're going to tell your story from your perspective about the topic that you're presenting on, right? So you don't want to go out and just present on some random topic that you know little to nothing about. I I don't think you're going to succeed. Select your topic based on what you feel passionate and compelled to present about. And if you've been doing the research and the homework in that topic, you're going to kill it. I mean, you know, you're going to tell your story. And I think that comes back to what John was also just saying about minority 
individuals of various gender, race, etc., being up there and presenting, again, tell your story, keep it to the story. You're there to tell the story. All the rest of the miscellaneous cruft, look, we've got you back as much as we can, and we're going to support you. We, we can't stand in your shoes. We haven't been in your shoes, but we definitely need more voices. Yeah, someone just posted a question here along that lines about any thoughts on boards of directors, and it's, it's the same thing. You've got to go out and tell a story. You have to know your audience. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish. Then you have to find a way to be effective. I got to talk to my first board of directors. I got to an insurance company in Wisconsin. Hugely intimidating. But you know what? When I got done, those people were so kind and thankful to me. And all I did is kind of do the same thing I always do. I have a message. I go out and I try to deliver it with passion. And I try to have valid content for them. If I'm providing value, you've got to be, com- you've got to be confident in the value proposition of your talk. The one thing I would add, though, with executive folks is something that John said earlier as well. If you're going to present to executive folks, make sure that you have anticipated the answer to the questions that are going to be asked, because they they will, if you present a problem or a risk of some sort, you better be pull, fully primed to pr- present sort of low, medium, high solution to that problem. because they're going to get turned off and, to, and walk away if you don't. You've got to be ready to have the answer. And you've got to be ready to have, you know, in some ways, and I've done this a number of times when I'm tr- I've tried to sell very large budget items in my career. You've got to be ready to give them, uh, in my opinion, kind of the Cadillac and the, the Pinto version of the solution and also the middle of the road. And in your mind, what you're advocating is you want them to buy the middle of the road, right? So that they can be comfortable to say, hey, you know what? Cadillac, that would be awesome. But that middle of the road, yeah, I think we can go for that. Save us a little bit of money. You get yours. They get theirs. Everybody's a winner. We had someone talking about this too. They said, there's got to be something more than just lean into it. And I really wish I had better answers. I don't think I have anything. Get out, present, get your ass kicked, present again always learn like what is the lesson and how to move forward. I don't know. I I just really wish I had better advice for this stuff, guys. I really do. I'm trying as much as I can. And I I know it's imperfect. John, are we, we're doing a new speaker workshop or something similar to that at Wild West again, are we? I think we are in San Diego again. I I want to kick that out as well. Yeah. Um, Just um, if you want to give us a little uh, feedback, just in the discord, do you think, I, I guess a brief poll, do you think new speaker workshop, inexperienced workshop, whatever you want us to call it, you think that's a good idea? Yeah, I just had Izzard the Wizard ask, what is the most brutal thing that can happen to a first-time presenter? I would say the most brutal thing that can happen whenever you're presenting is whenever you get that, that, that kind of a-hole in the room who is constantly trying to shut you down. I've seen that a handful of times. Those people are usually getting shut down as well. I've seen rooms turn on those people, but honestly, that's so brutal. And usually those people are a-holes and they will be dealt with accordingly. At least I hope I've seen peer pressure to work to my advantage. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell a quick story on oh, that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please uh, do. I, I was teaching in Europe last year. We had a relatively small class, uh, probably about, uh, if I remember correctly, of the, of the realm of eight people. So pretty, pretty small numbers. Uh, and I had one gentleman in the class who was uh, of Eastern European persuasion. 
And every time I paused for asking a question, I said, does anybody have any questions? And the gentleman would pipe up and said, everything you're saying is total bullshit. And that was all the guy could say starting from day one of the class. And so I would start in the beginning. I said, look, uh, sir, I appreciate that, that you may have a differing opinion, but do you have a question? And he didn't have a question. And, you know, that's that situation John's talking about. Eventually, the peer pressure will take over. And the other students started telling this gentleman basically to shut up <laughs> for a while. And it happened. Kind of with that language barrier, Radis just asked, when you're teaching in other countries, do you teach in English? Um, how do you handle language barriers? Joff, correct, correct, I would say 90% of the time when you present overseas, you're going to be in English, right? I mean, like, yeah, I'm not just saying when I present, like, all of a sudden I'm speaking in Japanese. It's just, if you look at all the cons that are out there, they present in English, whether you're in Southeast Asia or Europe, but you definitely will slow down your cadence of speaking. And you're going to change your jokes or not even tell them at all, because humor is very, very, very specific to certain geographic locations. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Yeah, no, that's, so that's I was true. presenting in Japan. I usually just go in and I present and I don't spend a lot of time talking about myself. I, I don't like doing that. Like, I'm the owner of Black Hills Information Security. I'm an instructor, blah, 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 blah. And that was jarring for my Japanese students. And I remember Yoshi was like, John, you know, this next time you go and present, could you please share a little bit about yourself? Because that's important in Japanese culture. So they get to know you. So I got up there and I presented a whole bunch of slides on our cows and our chickens and our pigs and the farm that I'm on. And I could just see the room. They lit up and they're like, so does. Oh, yeah. And they're like talking to each other. And I can tell that I'm saying something wrong and I don't know what. I'm saying wrong, but the end, Yoshi got up and he started talking very quickly in Japanese and I'm listening to the translators through the headset and they're translating it as fast as they can. And they're like, you guys said, John is not mentally deficient. John does this because in America, this is considered to be a hobby and they enjoy doing this. And this is not because he's not very good at computers. No, 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 no. And I realized that there was this huge cultural shift where if, if you farm in Japan, you're going to farm. If you do computers in Japan, you're going to do computers. The idea of mixing those streams was kind of foreign to them. And they were starting to wonder, why are we taking a class from a farmer? And it had to be clarified. After that happened, I just kind of made a couple of jokes about it. And it, it was fine after that. But kind of knowing those cultural norms can be somewhat difficult to navigate. And you're going to step on mines, and that's okay, uh, as long as you can laugh at it, kind of roll your way through. Yeah, so one of the things I, I use as a, a little bit of a trick when I'm teaching overseas in not, non-native English-speaking countries, first of all, I, I've taught in Europe a lot. In Europe, generally, English has become the common second language, and so everybody will get mm-hmm. along. So there's very few times that you don't have people that, that understand. That's, un- that's unlike Japan. Japan, they have translators in SANS for, for instruction. Secondly, what I like to do is learn just a handful of words in the language. And this can be dangerous. You have to be careful. But I learn just to say, good morning and good evening. Those are the two ones that I learn. And I open the class and I close it. And I will tell them, I don't know your language but I thought it would be nice to say good morning in your language and at least just say that much. And it has the effect of 
people warming up to you a little bit saying, well, you know what? He took the effort to at least say good morning to us. Of course, in some languages, it's not too hard. You know, good morning in German is not very different from good morning in English. But I, I found that was that was very good. And then slowing your roll, slowing your cadence and be very careful of cultural landmines. And I have a little bit of a dirty secret that I use, but it's because I grew up in Australia. I use the English form of English rather than the American form of English, because that is more common in Europe than it is more commonly and more well understood in Europe than American English is. But but I can cheat on that just because of my own mixed background. It's easy for you to stay on schedule. So the other thing I wanted to throw whenever you're presenting overseas, try to type notes for your slides, even if it's a couple of paragraphs. Your 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 students or the, your attendees will greatly appreciate that. A lot of them may not be able to keep up with your English, no matter how slow you speak. But if you actually write it out in English, they read English very, very, very well. So that'll help too. Avoid at all costs any slides that have direct cultural references. That is a minefield. Yeah, and that has happened to us. You know, in my particular area, I won't point out which one, but. Yeah. Stuff and, can get weird. And never try to speak in the accent of that country. Oh, my yeah. God. That is the worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> yes, we have had instructors do that. They didn't stay with us for very long. I disregard What that. other questions, CJ? Now, this was just a great comment. I wanted to inject it a while back when you were talking about having the jerk in the class or whatever. But it says, this, this is just a great analogy. Nothing hurts a black belt like a white belt. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's kind of like the, a fool can ask more questions than a wise man can answer. Yeah, fits right in there nicely. I, I did have one tip for people when the world opens back up is that if you can take an improv class, that can really help you with the way you present and, and just handle audiences. Plus, it, acts, it, it, it actually ups your full of shit level, which, yeah. you know, I'm just poking at Jason here. But <laughs> All right. Well, that is it. Anything, any final words, John, as we wrap up? Uh, I just want to say thank you for coming to this non-standard, weird, and slightly insane presentation. Virtual hugs. Thank you all for joining us today for our Black Hills Information Security webcast. Uh, We will have the recording online within the 10 days. If you're watching the recording, then how meta is this? And uh, let's see. If you need a pen test, blue team, red team, threat hunt, you know where to find us. And with that, we are done. Bye-bye. We're going to end. Can I sit now? Webinar. Oh. You got chafing? See. Got all that chafing? What's that? The chafing? Is yeah, the chafing, chafing thing went, the chafing thing went better than I thought it was going to. So I, uh, I like that quite a bit.